Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod here in sunny Manhattan Beach with one of my favorite guests, the Ringers Ryan Rossillo, host of the Ryan Rossillo Podcast, the Dual Threat Podcast with Bill Simmons, and of course his weekly football podcast with Chris Long. But a great visit all around the NBA with Ryan Rossillo. Let's get right to it. Here at Casa Rossillo in lovely downtown Manhattan Beach. This is the podcast after the podcast because we always talk for about 30, 40 minutes. It would be a well-listened-to podcast, I think, but none of it can be on air. And so now we start our real podcast after we talked about all the things we probably don't want to talk about on air. No, this is why I know, I mean, not like you need to prove yourself to anybody, but I, I'm always amazed at how good you are getting information. So we just sat here and we, we talked it all out and you've always been, uh, really interested in, in what's going on with me. So it's just, it's good to have you at the place. We don't have a lot of visitors here. So yeah, this, this is great. This is, yeah. This is, uh, this is quite a pet. I imagine, uh, have you done any of your ringer video stuff from here yet? Have I missed it? I don't remember this as a backdrop yet. We're, we're testing some things, workshopping a few videos. So I usually go up to the ringer once, maybe twice a week and work on different video stuff. So we're trying to figure out a good setup for here, but this was um this was a purchase when I wasn't 100% sure what my future was going to be. I thought it might have just been like a 12, maybe even 8-month run here, and then I was going to have to pack it up and leave. So uh we didn't put a full studio in it. So we're we're, we're working on some things. No, it's 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 impressive. It's uh you can see the water from here and Manhattan Beach is a underrated cove of NBA there's players, but executives, I don't want to give away, but executives, front office people, coaches live down here. I bet you see a lot of guys milling around. Kiki Vanderways always walking around. I'm just kidding. Uh, I've never seen Kiki here. <laughs> You're right. You don't want to name guys. It's actually kind of easy to figure, but it is, uh, I guess the population is just over 30,000. And the story is, uh, one of my friends who played for the Kings a really long time ago, Aaron Miller, got traded here. We were miserable because none of us had been to Los Angeles and we just assumed it sucked. And it did suck for the beginning of the visit. And then he was like, let's go check out this place, Manhattan Beach. A bunch of the Kings live there. And we all were like walking around being like, this is unbelievable. He moved there. And from that day on, it was 18 years ago. I go, one day I'm going to live here. Yeah, I, I miss that about when I used to come to L.A., I guess prior to ESPN, I would always stay on the west side. I would stay in Santa Monica or Marina del Rey. And even though like I didn't always necessarily walk over to the water, like you'd be here working. It was nice to be able to at least see it in the morning when you came in or when you go back. And now our world is around LA Live. The studio's there. Obviously, the arena's there. Teams are largely, not in every case, some teams are staying down there. And so you end up staying downtown in that area. And you, you, you'll come out here for stretches and like I'll almost, sometimes I'll just never leave that LA Live area. Everything I'm doing is down there. Oh, I've done that. I miss, yes. I miss that being like you don't really, like you're not in LA LA. Yeah. yeah, it was seven or eight day stretches, you know, where I'd be there for ESPN. And, and I was just thrilled, honestly, like I would never complain about it. But when you're downtown, you know, that's when people who only experience downtown, although downtown's a hundred times better than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I remember my first visit, I think was 2008, where I stayed downtown and comparing that now, like there's stuff, there's stuff going on. But yeah, there's a, this is a slower vibe out here. It's, yeah, I mean, everybody's doing something kind of special. You know what I like about it? And this isn't a knock on any place I've lived in the East Coast, but even though everybody can say like, oh, everybody in Los Angeles is full of it and all this stuff, 
but at least it's interesting. Like I'm always running into somebody. Now, granted, you're usually getting pitched on something or you think you're going in where it's going to help you and then you realize that you get 180 and they're asking you for something, which has definitely happened. <laughs> uh, I've gone in like really naive and excited being like, this is the one, this is the one. And be like, oh, wait, you want me to do this? Oh, okay. That's not really what I was told ahead of time. But whatever, like at least it's actually interesting because I went too many stretches in Connecticut where, and this is my own undoing, but I just... I would go, holy, you know, like you've spent 40 nights in a row down in this basement and you haven't talked to anybody. Like you're on the phone, you're texting with teams or mm-hmm. whatever, but you did, you haven't like interacted with another person after work for like a month and a half. And so I, uh, I don't do that anymore. You don't miss the residence in in Southington? I never had a problem with beach? it. You know, I, I did the residence in thing for three years, which was, was kind of fun. Um, How long did it take for you to realize you only get half points on residence in? Did you think about that trade-off? You only get half, like Courtyard Marriott is a uh, full point. It's a full point. It's basically 0.5. Yeah. That's a brilliant. Well, I I didn't, uh, are you sure? When did that change? It's always been that. You just missed out on them for all those years. All those years. I got a nice flat screen TV out of it though. So I felt, because I had one year, the third year I was at ESPN, which was the third hotel year. So the first three years were hotels. I think the number was 220 nights at the residence in, wow. in Southington. But I never wanted to move to Connecticut until I had somewhat of a stable deal, which is, you know. It's um, another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah. And so, yeah, I just never knew. I, I was like, don't move here until you've got something that's a little bit more solid. Listen, this will be L.A. We knew this. In July, we suspected it all year that this would be the epicenter of the NBA. Uh, that's clearly going to be the case. The Lakers will not get to play the Hornets every night, nor the Clippers. The Hornets are rolling through here for uh, a couple nights. But let's start with those two teams. The Clippers, you know, it's funny, and I thought they were – it felt like they were going to get off on, like, a long run to start the season. Of course, they go to Phoenix <laughs> and lose, who Monty Williams is really – that's another – he, he's the, hey, that but, roster's not bad. Like no. when you think about the Suns, but you roll out a healthy starting five for them and you look at it and well, when we were doing our previews, I go, Hey, you know, like looking at this and seeing it going, this is like, there's actually positional fits here and guys yeah. that you trust. And that's more why than, losing Aiton was just DeAndre Aiton for yeah. them for where they were. Like they weren't going to be a playoff team, but they had a chance to give you a sense of like what this thing could look like with, you know, with Aiton, with Booker, uh, going forward. Um, but anyway, he, he's out, but. The Clipper Laker thing will be interesting uh, all year. You know, obviously, what what's going to be really interesting with the Clippers is, and Paul George will come back here in November. Is how many nights this season will you have both Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on the court together? I mean, there will be some load management for Kawhi this year. Uh, my sense is it's not going to be nearly what it was like last year. But on most nights, in most arenas in the NBA, the Clippers can beat whoever they're playing with. Just one of them. Um, and, and the idea would be obviously to have them both by the time the playoffs come. I wasn't sure in the summer if they could have the best record. And the Lakers could be, and listen, Lakers, um, I don't know if they're as deep as this Clipper team is, but listen, we haven't seen Kuzma yet, and they're one in, you know, LeBron and AD are, you know, they're going to be as good as anybody's one and two, obviously. But, um, yeah, it, the, the thing still runs through, and there's a lot of interesting stories in the West, but, man, this thing runs through. LA and I still think, you know, you very well could have, we'll see how the seedings come out in the playoffs, but I still think it's conceivable you can have a conference final 
in the same building, you know, seven games with those two teams that might decide the championship. No doubt. I don't ever think, or I've never looked at like, okay, let's figure out the seeds and all that kind of stuff. I thought there were six locks for the playoffs in the West. And then I actually think those last two spots, it's a handful of five teams. And maybe after a week, we'll feel like a couple of those have already eliminated them themselves. And I'm sure we'll get to some of that stuff, but I don't think there's any question, even with Kuzmo back, that the Clippers are deeper. And I think their role pieces are guys that, that I like better. Montrez is a dude that I look at and going, everyone who watches college basketball and loves the draft, and I love the draft without really being involved in it anymore, but we need to do a better job of going, like, he's got an energy level that's beyond, like, there's shooters, there's rebounders, there's stuff, okay, okay, but this guy, what does he do? It's kind of like that Kenneth Fareed stuff when he was coming out, and you just go, he's got a, his skill is energy that's a different level right. of that, and especially if you're bringing him, again, against some backups, and I don't think, like, Zubach is going to be somebody in a playoff game, because we saw his struggles against Golden State, so... You know, when you're projecting out all of these different guys, Shamit's been ridiculous. I mean, he's such a nice piece to pick up in that Tobias Harris trade. I look at their depth and go, man, I kind of know what I'm supposed to get out of every Jim one Michael of these guys. Green, Mo Harkless. Right. These are long wings yeah. now that can defend and not kill you if they're left open, yeah. um, on a shot. And, you know, Mo's never going to have some, you know, we're not, you're never going to have a stretch where it's like, let's run three plays from Mo Harkless. You might not even run one, but, can you be somebody I still have to respect defensively? And that's where we've seen teams in the playoffs. Like, I think that's one of the great things about the Raptors is they had like five guys at all times out there that could mm-hmm. make a shot. And that's, that's really, I think what everybody's trying to do now is you're building these teams. So when I look at the Clippers now, and this isn't even with George and Kawhi really establishing himself throughout the finals and everything. And with Durant being hurt, he's the best player in the league. Um, I don't worry about the Suns thing. If the Clippers had that kind of loss in January or February, yeah, Woj, yeah. we wouldn't even pay any attention to it. And it oh, became, no. yeah. it became really weird because I watched the game. They played like crap the whole time and they never even got back. You thought like, okay, when's it, when's it coming? When's it coming? And you're like, oh, I guess the Suns are just going to pull this thing out. But I like them and I know this almost sounds like it's disrespectful to the Lakers, but it isn't. It's just that I think the Lakers, especially with LeBron and it's awesome to see a new fan base. And I know this is going to make people cringe, but like Lakers fans, like you think you knew how good Anthony Davis was. And now that you see it, you're like, Oh my God, he's, he's that special. Like he, if he has a nice run in the playoffs, like he may take that mantle of best player. It looked like he was going to get it two playoffs ago when they took care of Portland. It's like, maybe he is right now the best player in the world. That's right. And I think for Anthony Davis too, he's under, you are under an an inspection every single game, every minute you're on the court when you play for the Lakers. That's unlike, anywhere else and especially when he played in new orleans you know like people would come through and you'd watch them and he he would just get credit for carrying them he would just say wow look at what he's carrying there look what's around him it's not that great um they've they've cycled a lot of different players in and out of there around him for the most part you know when he was healthy he could keep him you know in the playoff chase and now when you see him uh, and, and that'll be an adjustment for him playing it is not easy to play for the Lakers it is not easy LeBron has done that his whole career even the Lakers is another level of it uh, but that will be I think for AD too an adjustment and I think it is for a great player uh, coming to play for that organization because you are under the microscope in a way that I don't know you are anywhere else in any in any sport day in and day out for a team that plays it's not the Cowboys who play once a week you're, you're playing but they're, they're watching you against Charlotte on Sunday night and you're being judged on it. And th- that's new for guys. And I think it all kind of comes back to like, 
as much as we used to grow up with the idea like home court was so important historically in this league, it just it doesn't feel like there's the same emphasis. I think there's a bigger separation between regular season and playoff basketball than we've ever seen before. Like the way teams are constructed to win in the regular season. Like I think Houston could be the one seed. I think Denver could be, even though, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I still want to see more from the second guy in Denver to go, okay, I really think, cause I've heard some people I like a lot go, I think Denver's coming out of the West. I think it's still the Lakers or Clippers. I just don't think they care enough about the seed. And I'm not going to let myself like be tricked into a three or four seed from either of those two teams yeah. and think that there's a couple teams that are ahead of them because talent wise, if AD and LeBron are healthy going into the playoffs, that's the best one-two punch. It still yeah. is. And, and, you know, I know we're all expecting LeBron to fall off the map here at some point because of minutes, but I don't think it's this year. Yeah, and I think when you get into the playoffs, you're, when your two are better than their two... It's kind of it. That, that's it. And and that's where Portland, Utah, Denver, uh, their two's not going to be better than the Clipper or Laker two, but they can have continuity. They can be deeper. They've got really good coaching. You know, there's lots of factors where they can try to make up for it, but they all know it's still really hard. It's funny, Bob Bob Myers, and I don't know if we got to this on the podcast with Bob and Draymond the other day, but Bob had said about Draymond that Draymond had a great line he gave him, something that he thinks about when he would evaluate players there or teams. He would say, he would say to him, "That's a 16 game player, that's an 82 game player," and that. It really was made Bob think about who was built to win the 16 games and who was built just to play the 82. And it's a really interesting way to look at it. And, um, I, we got into a bunch of other things on the pod and I wanted, I don't think I ever brought that up with those two on air, but man, ever since he has said that to me, cause he thought it was genius and it just is a very, it's a simpler way to, to look at guys. And, and listen, sometimes you're not a 16 game player until somebody sees you do it. Right. Like until until you win it or until you deliver in the postseason, you're not that yet. So and that's just I've, I've started to do that more and more. And I don't know if Houston's like a reason why where yeah. I go, you know, is Houston just this thing that's. Yeah. Is, Jay, is James a 16 game player? Or is he an 82 game? player? Well, he's an 82 game player to me yeah. right now. so far. I mean, how many right. flameouts do you need yeah. in big postseason spots where you're just looking around missing shots? And I know what you've done in the regular season. I know what all the analytics say. I know how ridiculous it is. And he is that special of an offensive player. But it's, I mean, we had a bunch of evidence and I still can't believe they couldn't beat that Warriors team without Durant. And, you know, I'm not going to say they let Curry do that in the second half of game six, but that was one of those moments where I just went, you know, you guys talk and all this junk. And then like Curry just killed you in the second half. And Durant was gone, and you still couldn't win that game at home. Like so, you know, yeah, I break. Like to me, that's there are great players where I go, you know, look, I've long been criticized of being a fan of Chris Paul. I don't care, but there are players who I think are stars where it didn't happen. It's kind of the Jerry West thing that he'll explain, mm-hmm. and you know, people can say, oh, that's because Jerry West lost in the finals all the time, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know. Like I believe. I believe this. I believe there are coaches that are really good coaches that have bad teams and we never get to see how good they are. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are, there are average coaches that have great teams and we call them great and basketball people in the community would tell you, you know, that guy's not that great, but mm-hmm. whatever, it worked out for him. I it's, think- it's, it's very different who the coaching fraternity respects versus who the public thinks are the best coaches. They're not the same. Absolutely. It, that's, that's an yeah. awesome topic because yeah. there'll be guys like the way other people talk about Rick Carlisle. 
Mm-hmm. Now, I think everybody realizes like Rick Carl is really good, and you get annoyed and you're special when you mm-hmm. go ahead and get that ring. Um, I think Terry Stotts is one of those guys he is, in a game. Like Terry Stotts does not get enough credit for what he is. Other other I mean, guys will be like, you know who I, I like to steal stuff from is Terry Stotts. Yeah. And you're like, okay, well, that's why this guy got like a second gig after never really doing anything in his first one. So as I spend too long kind of getting through that whole thing, it's that James Harden and even West, Russell Westbrook, like I think Houston could end up being the one seed. I don't know who I'm picking them against in the playoffs. Like I, they're probably going to have a stretch where they, all the TV shows start saying, all right, you know, are the Rockets the team to beat? And the great thing I think about Daryl and that staff is that, like, I can't wait until Josh Jackson's playing there in three years, hitting threes. <laughs> you know, Josh like, Jackson, who Memphis just sent down to their G League team, they don't even think they want him. Well, I think they clearly okay. don't want him around their team. Right. We're talking yeah. about a top five pick here, yeah. and I just assume if Houston brings him in, it'd be like, oh, this guy's good again. So Mar- Mar- Marquise Chris was the one I thought that would happen to, and now maybe. Well, he's in Golden State, and he, they had a they cut a guy to keep him. Uh, again, these were you know lottery pick talents who you know whatever. But but you're right, and and but you see what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. I, I think Chris Paul was somebody who was a great special player, and it didn't work out for him. Other people tell me he's the reason the team's lost all the time, and there's plenty of evidence to tell me that the second person's right. Um, and there's people listening to this right now. They're like, it just didn't work out for Harden. He ran into two teams. And here's the thing: to be fair, if I want to like go devil's advocate on my Harden theory here. It's impossible to miss that many shots two playoffs ago. And the Chris Paul Harden thing worked. And if they had just hit a below average number of shots. By the way, that's the thing is, that thing worked. It worked. It It worked. worked. It worked. Because against, against maybe the most talented team, I know Durant went down in that series and, and, and they were, they were, but they, but what they did two two years ago. Yeah. Come on. Nobody in the league could touch them. No one. And we, you know, people want to say Mike D and it's like, well, what about the other coaches who, you know, could not go the distance with Golden State, who got blown out of series, whose teams, like, to say that thing didn't work, so wait, winning a championship, beating maybe the most talented team we've seen in maybe ever? I, I don't know how we compare them to the 80s Lakers, Celtics, which I don't know, but probably the most talented. In the conversation top, of one of come the on, three right? to five most and, and talented And so because you can't right? beat that team, yeah. it didn't work. You could say, you know, listen, you could make the case. They should have it. But like, in the end, James Harden didn't want to play with Chris anymore, and that's why Chris is in Oklahoma City. There's, there's not much of another. That, that's the reason he wanted Russell Westbrook, and so they had to do the deal. Yeah, and it's it's really important because like I always feel like sometimes I'm an easy grader on this stuff. Like I don't like saying this coach sucks and should be fired. I don't like saying that this GM's an idiot all the time because I think this is really hard. It's really hard. I mean, it's it's such a hard job. There's only a few guys. You can't just hire a new coach without guys and expect to win games. But Houston deserves so much credit, as I sound like I wasn't giving any credit, for trying to do the thing that no one else – like. There are other teams going, what's the point of even challenging Golden State right now? And Daryl almost got it. They guarded three with five, and then Paul gets hurt, and then they can't hit shots. So, like, I, I feel like that's one of those moments where you go, this is not a failure, even though everyone's judged a failure that doesn't win a championship. So, yeah, yeah. You know, and you have a new owner who clearly wants it all right now, wants to win in this window. And Houston has put themselves with the, with the Westbrook trade. Like they've got to win one here in the next few years because giving up two first round picks and then the two pick swaps, which is like losing. Ask and they're Brooklyn, like what twenty four, twenty five. Yeah, ask yeah. Brooklyn. Like a pick swap's like losing your pick. It's like you've you've given it away. You go from, you know, you go from being able to, you know, let's see, uh, Boston gets Jalen Brown and you get the twenty seventh pick, which you trade 
actually turned into Kyle Kuzma actually didn't turn out to be a bad pick for the Lakers. Is that the right draft? I have that connected that one year. Anyway, pick swaps are bad. They're bad. So no, pick swaps. Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's one of those things where you think the owners would pass some thing where we're like, Hey, can we get rid of pick swaps just to prevent us from saying yes to it? <laughs> like a salary cap exists. So the owners don't go over the credit card limit. Right. And right. in the Stepdian role, they had to put it in that because Ted Stepdian in Cleveland right. in the early eighties had traded so many picks where you can't trade the same pick in consecutive years, but you can do a pick swap in those years, which is almost if you go from the top of the draft to the end of it, it's it's sort of like losing one. So it, it kind of does the same thing. One of the rare times Daryl complimented me. Uh, but what did he, he d- call you on that podcast when you guys were doing that thing? Didn't he? What did he call you? You spell you make fun of how you spell your name. Right? Yeah, which is always like, yeah, yeah. you know, I wasn't involved in the conversation <laughs> of the spelling at the time, so I apologize for not having more input right out of the womb. But uh, he. This is, it's very clear that, and I don't know if it's like the smart GMs or the analytic GMs. It is very clear that people have overrated first rounders for a long time because it sounds so cool when you have a bunch of them like, Oh, we have two first. And it's like, yeah, okay. The guy you take in the twenties probably isn't going to play. And I've been bringing this up. Like, you know, we really need to focus in on the difference of what a first rounder is depending on where it lands. And if you're trading a bunch in the twenties, you're not really giving up that much, but it just sounds awesome when it's like, Oh my God, we got two firsts. And now we see Palinka give up a million. We see Presti stockpile. Just, I mean, it's insane how many picks Presti's going to end up having here, depending on how all the swaps work out. I mean, what are we talking like? Maybe 15, 15, picks? yeah, 15, 15 picks. Yeah. And, Daryl was like, I will compliment you on this because you've been, he's like, go ahead. Go no, ahead. no, go ahead. No, no, space He was like, you have been ahead of the curve on realizing how overrated like the second half of the first round yeah. pick value is, although it just sounds cool. Think about too how many more Oklahoma City can get. Look at their roster and think about how many more players. If you want to keep flipping those guys for picks, let's go down at Steven Adams, Schroeder, Gallinari. Well, Paul is the head. Yeah, player. Chris. Now, because of the money, you're you're going. I don't that player option at forty four is tough. Is rough. So yeah, I, I don't know if somebody takes him on. I don't know that they're giving up picks. I don't know what how that looks. But you know what? I also didn't think. But he need was going to get fill. if their whole roster's picks. They're going to need salary filler. So maybe they take back an extra year on something that's that. That's not right. 44, it won't be a big. That's right. And then, but you know, then it's but, but like for all those like and you can't. It's fascinating about how that could look in Oklahoma City because. Now, listen, a lot of these are a long time down the road. Who knows? Sam will be, Sam Presti is going to be there. Well, I don't, who, who knows? Cause it's, these are way down the road, but you also could be in position if there was a, you know, you, you hit on a guy, you get one really good young player and then you got all the picks in the world to trade. You know, if you want to roll the dice on the next Paul George down the road to get a star, you know, th- there's ways you could speed that thing up again with all the picks or you could just keep drafting guys until, you, you hit it, it's, but it is going to be, it's unlike anything we've seen. And that team is going to be pretty competitive this year. Like, it's a hungry, Chris is hungry. Like, if he wants to play somewhere else, if he wants to get traded to a team that's in more of a win-now mode, he needs to play well. His pride's not going to let him do anything but but work at it. And and, and I, I'm really interested to see, for Billy Donovan now, to coach a team. Russell was not easy to coach, and he wasn't easy for Scott Brooks, and it was hard to run the things you want to run because Russ just dominated and it was Russ and KD and it was built around them certainly and every coach would love to have the problem. 
but they are looking, it does look different now. And I think this will be interesting for, it's a more traditional, he's got a more traditional point guard. From everything I heard, like leading up to it, and this is where I always ask you to like, cause I don't want to mislead, you know, anybody, cause I understand your level of information versus mine, but I, I just, I heard good things about it. Like I know there was a lot of people saying Chris is never going to play for him. And I'm like, well, that's not true because it was just as you pointed out with that contract, the trade market wasn't really there. I had heard he wanted to go to Milwaukee. And well, of course you'd want to go play with Giannis, you know, and, but. The contract, and then it's also a Milwaukee fit of like how much would this change who we are? Is it taking the ball out of Giannis's hands? Although I really think if Paul, as he gets older, understands it, like you can't just dissect the defense the whole time and dribble, dribble, dribble. Although other people have had more of a problem with it than I have. Um, that you know, I don't. I, you worry about the basketball fit with him a little bit, and that's why I also worry about like if he ended up ending up in Miami. If they go, hey, you know what? Like Dragic just hurt again. We could do mm-hmm. the contract and figure out some sort of asset thing, and then Presti's going like, okay, you know what? I'm actually getting what I think is like an equal value thing here for him. But I had heard that the the Billy Donovan part of it was like a relief. Like you're being kind by saying it's not easy to coach Russ. You don't coach Russ. You just don't. I don't know anyone that knows anything about basketball that would look at that and go. That's, that's easy to do. And I remember like I got really pissed off once when I knew how tough it was with Russ. And I'd said it on Mike and Mike once. And I had said something to Hubie like, how would you handle this? And Hubie like kind of talked me down and was, was basically like, Russ is not difficult. And I'm <laughs> like, are you, what? It's just it, different. It, like, like, He's just not going to, he's going to do his thing. Yeah, like basketball yeah. players are people. You know how he'd be like, hey, yeah. people change. And there's a lot of evidence that people actually at their core never really quite change who they are. I think it's times 10 with basketball players. Yeah. He's fe- like, I admire the guy. I admire the guy so much. I admire uh, what he puts into it, the tenacity, how much he cares about it. I, I do. And, and it's not in every guy in the league and at his size and his background, it's unbelievable, you know, like an afterthought in college, you know, kind of a late, like all the things like he, uh, but it's like that competitive. It's, it's what makes him great. He has to have that me against Chris has it. When you're a smaller player, you have to have that. I'm going to take on everybody because you, you, it is hard for you to be in the league. If you don't come at it, that way every single day and then it has its drawbacks because it's you know it it butts heads with people and it'll be interesting he's said and done all the right things so far i think it's a huge in relief, houston Woj. i really i yeah. really oh you're talking yeah. westbrook now in houston? westbrook yeah okay. yeah yeah that not, one i'm now. not as, as yeah. confident about but they were better defensively certainly with chris and i like houston was elite the last few years a couple years because they, they had become an elite defensive team yeah that's what allowed them to compete with Golden State, they're going to score points. They're going to score points with Chris Paul. They're going to score points with Russ. Uh, will they defend the way they did? Harden defended better last year than he had, but now you know having PJ Tucker and Capella and you know like listen, you become a better defensive team. When you Rivers have was worked out better for them too. For yeah. all the Austin Rivers jokes over the years. You know what? Like he's a legit rotation guy. Come on, I, on, a, on a minimum and, deal. Like, yeah, right. and come he on, fights. Guy could put up twenty five right. any any night. He's got you. an yeah. attitude to him. Like yeah. he does. You know, the cool thing about a guy like Austin Rivers, and I know we're probably not going to spend a ton of time on Austin Rivers, but when you grow up the way he grew up, he's never going to be in awe of any of these people out there. Right. He's going to get into a skirmish with like some guy who's like higher on the star level than he'll ever be. 
but he's not going to be sitting there and thinking he's going to back down. I just know that it's probably going to look awesome in the regular season. I don't know what it's going to look like in the playoffs. And I do think that post-Russ, where it was embrace the guy who stayed after all the stuff and how hurt they were about KD, that I think there is sort of a relief post-Russ because it was just the whole franchise was hostage. I think it was very similar to the Iverson Sixers years where it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, this is kind of our guy, but we know it's not perfect. And I think there's a real exhale here with Paul that, and I'll just ask any basketball fan this, tie game, playoffs, coming up the court, who do you trust to make a better decision between Chris Paul and Westbrook right now? And for me, I, I don't know how anybody would, would pick one of those two guys. Hey guys, between fall birthdays, anniversaries, and big celebrations, there are a lot of dates to keep track of, and let's face it, you're not going to remember them all. So when your back is against the wall, and it's her birthday or anniversary, and it's just a few days away, trust 1-800-Flowers.com to have your back. They'll get your bouquet where it needs to be for a price you won't believe. Right now, when you order a dozen multicolored roses for only $29.99, 1-800-Flowers will give you another dozen absolutely free. That's 50% off the original price. They offer beautiful arrangements of vibrant pink, orange, and purple roses at an unbeatable price. Perfect for birthdays, anniversaries, screw-ups, or just because. Picked out their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. A dozen multicolored roses for only $29.99 plus another dozen for free. You can take care of a holiday and you can use the free one for a screw-up. It works out perfectly. You can trust 1-800-Flowers.com when the game's on the line. To order a dozen multicolored roses plus an extra bouquet for just $29.99, go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, and enter code WOJ. That's W-O-J. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code WOJ. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. It's a Swiss watch brand with a broad range of high-quality watches at attractive prices. They bring performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tissot prides itself on the precision and style of its classic, sport, and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. They offer a great variety from touch watches to sport to classic and trendy. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality, performance, and traditional luxury. Shop the latest timepieces at us.tissoshop.com. That's us.tissotshop.com and jewelry stores nationwide. And follow the hashtag, this is your time. And tissot.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about Tiso. Kyrie Irving in the net so far. This has been, it's how I imagined it would look this year with him, with no KD. I mean, it is going through him in a big way. And they have been like, he is a show right now. I mean, he is playing, um, but they're, they're also one and two and they have not defended very well at all. And I think they'll, you know, they've got to get back to some of that. Um, but he has been, He's been a blast to watch. Like, if you're going to buy a ticket to watch somebody in the league this year, like, I'm buying a ticket to go watch him 
home away anywhere in the league because he is like <laughs> you know you saw John Morant go shot for shot with him down the stretch uh in Memphis and you know they're giving up a lot of points but it'll be it'll be interesting because what you loved about that Brooklyn team last year was the way they shared the ball the way it moved uh I don't think it's as quite as bad as it looks in terms of he's been so spectacular it feels like he's I think he might be dominating the ball more than he really is um, but it's uh, this is what Kyrie wanted. He, he he's got it. He's got it there. Yeah, he's gotten what he's wanted a couple times now, and we uh, shall see. Because I've watched two of the games. I watched the Memphis game yesterday, and I left. And I'll, I'll just admit, like I like Jaw, but you still always want to see it. Like you can feel really good about a draft pick, but you go, I just want to see you run around with other NBA bodies. And when you get to see that first week, and you go, Oh my God. Like, this is going to be awesome. Yeah. Like, that's how I feel. Like, I'm, I'm probably too into John Morant right now. And to, that drive and to finish against Jared Allen left hand and then to go down and not go for Kyrie and foul him and block him. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this guy looks like he totally belongs. But back to the Kyrie thing, you know, last year's funny because both Durant and Kyrie had talked about like the culture and the style and the system. And I go, you realize like everything they did. They're like when you guys get there, that's not what they're going to do anymore. It, it, like, and, and that's you, okay. They're the culture. They're yes. the style. Like, like you, it's, it's up to yeah, you two. You're guys bringing what, it. What yeah, you're going to be, be doing. what you guys decide it is. So I'm not going to sit here and be like not be impressed because Kyrie, when he's right, is he might be top five. He's not outside of the top ten in shot creators. He's one of the greatest shot creators I've ever seen. He really is. But if he has any of the pride that I think he has. He's got to figure out how to keep this going and going in a way where everybody feels good about it. And I would think he'd want some sort of redemption. And it's not just scoring points, but redemption after them getting smoked by the Bucks. And all those Celtics guys talked all this junk. They had their promotional video. No one's going to beat us in seven games. You're like, okay. And the Bucks worked them those last four, and it looked like Kyrie didn't care. That's what I saw. I mean, it's funny because I'm sitting here and I still watch the Celtics. I worked on their TV broadcast for years. My father's still a huge fan, so I like to talk to my dad and talk to him about the Celtics. So I'm watching the games, and we were laughing. I go, "It's weird to actually enjoy watching them this year because it was pretty unenjoyable." And we'll see what ha- every team in the world will want Kyrie as a free agent. They they just would. Yeah. I mean, he's he's that talented, but it's him just. No one cares about all the nonsense, man. Just- it's this is going to be different with him. He's different, and it's going to be different. It's going to look different. It's going to sound different. He's different, and so um, doesn't yeah, always like, mean. Do you, think, do you think they're a top four team in the East this year? Because I have I have a hard time with these. Like I like the Heat. Boston's making the playoffs. I mean, they look like a different team. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I, no, I, I think th- th- they have the potential to be. I want to see, like. Kyrie's got to make guys better there, and Karis LeVert has got to be. Uh, this is a guy who should be a borderline All Star. He was last year when he, early in the season when he got hurt, he was going to be the All Star on that team, not D'Angelo Russell. Then D'Angelo Russell carried carried that team, got them to the playoffs, made himself the All Star, and then by the end of the year again, LeVert when he got healthy and in the playoffs, he was their best player again. You know, to me, elevate him and you know Jared Allen, like third year, those guys. Uh, you know, Dinwiddie has his role with that team where he can carry you for a quarter or two and play. It looked like they were going to yeah. use Dinwiddie as like the guy to 
put on the point guard to not yeah. have Kyrie, you know, stick Kyrie on the shoot. It's gonna, we'll see if they're better defensively. That, that's going to be really important. And Jared's uh, been them. a nice player for them. Yeah. And then they got DeAndre, and I'd be curious to see what the closing lineup is with Jared versus DeAndre defensively. And Tor- Torian Prince has fit into them. You know, yeah. it's funny. Torian Prince did not fit with Atlanta, and he goes to Brooklyn, and he just he fits better with he's fit better with them than he did in Atlanta, where they have plenty of good young players. And speaking of them, like what Trey Young has done, I mean. You know, you go back, take out the first two months of his career, and and now what he's done since this season started. You know, it's funny. The Doncic, he and Doncic were always going to be connected because of the draft night trade, and because Doncic got off to such a better start as a rookie, he's older. Well, since he's not older, he's he's more experienced as a pro. He's been playing yeah. at, at pro level for uh, years. But the league he was in was better than the Big 12. Yes, obviously. Yes. And so, but now it's funny how quickly we make judgments and you would have thought, well, and now you look and you go, okay, which one would you take? And I don't know. Like, I think you'd, you really would have to think about that one. And I think there's people who would listen. Doncic fits with Porzingis and, and it's great. Like, I don't think either one, but there's two right answers. I always say sometimes there's two right answers. They were both right answers. And, to Travis Schlenk's credit in Atlanta, he believed in he believed in Trey Young. He from the beginning of that college season, even when everybody else fell off Trey Young, there were so many questions about him among teams in the lottery. And I think he would have went to Orlando at five if he did drop to them. But there weren't teams like moving up to try to get him. Like I remember in that draft, there were teams trying to get up to get Jaron Jackson at four from Memphis. But wow, like. What what Trey has done and how he is, um, you know, I'm not sure he'll keep this pace, uh, but he is he is a franchise he's a franchise player. So I'm going to sound like because um, I don't, I can't add anything to everything you just said. It's totally true. I mean, I felt horrible for Trey Young in the summer league last year because you're like, oh my god, like is this going to be that bad? But mm-hmm. it just shows like summer league, yeah. you can't lose your mind over that stuff, yeah. good or bad. And the first month, like I went through his monthlies when we were doing the preview thing, and you're like, my god, he was horrible. Couldn't hit any shots, took a million, turned the ball over a ton, and just looked like, hey, you, you know, you're going to have to wait until you fell out if you want to yeah. play. In the, you know, So the whole Trey Young redemption thing is accurate, and it's good. And, and for Travis, who's a respected front office guy, because they were so all in on him. Like, man, do you really no, they, they, they really were. And, and, and he wanted to pass on Doncic. Like, and listen, guy? he was a new general manager with, you know, with, with fairly new ownership there. And a fan base that's been checked out now, which I don't blame them for because it's been a little while. Yeah. Like whenever you'd go in years past when I covered the Knicks in New York and the Knicks would play or the Nets, well, more than Knicks, the Knicks would play Atlanta. This is back when Jeff Van Gundy was coaching the Knicks and they'd go down those really good Atlanta teams and it would be all New York fans and you go cover a game. Anytime you covered an NBA game years ago in Atlanta, it would be, you know, like the, if there was a big rival fan base, rival fan base, They'd fill the place up, but now with a new arena, and Trey Young's a ticket seller. Like you're going to buy, you're going to buy a ticket to go watch that guy ball, and uh, I, I think he's going to, like, you can imagine a whole new young generation of Atlanta fan, like being weaned on this guy, and and their fan base really growing because, you know, he's magic with the ball, not Magic Johnson, but it's like it's magical to watch him with the ball. But the one point I'm going to make is this is. One, I still think I would take Doncic. Um, well, I don't think. I know I would. Yeah. I would prefer Doncic over Trey. 
But I saw this at the end of the last year, and I definitely saw it at the end of that Orlando win where he scored a million points. And what did he end up at 39 and 15 to 25? I mean, he was, he was awesome. I think 16 to 25. But I'm watching it, and there was one thing I watch for with Trey now more than anything else. We know he's going to be like borderline all-star. This kid is terrific. The pick worked out. You don't have to get made fun of. You don't have to be compared to Doncic all the time anymore. You know, like all those parts are positive. But he is absolutely single-minded as a point guard offensively in that I don't think he looks for other guys at all. And it's great to be like that confident. But I've noticed it last year at the end of games where if they got an off- offensive rebound off a Trey miss – I think there was frustration from his teammates and I, he wouldn't always get the ball back. And I, I, that's just something that I think is worth looking at because the other Orlando thing, he never looked at anybody and guess what? He hit every single shot. Yeah. So I'm not criticizing him for it. I'm just simply saying mm-hmm. it's something beyond the numbers to pay attention to because the job of the point guard, even if you're an amazing scorer now, which this is how this position is just, if you don't score at this position now, it used to be a bad thing when you did. If you don't now, it's a huge problem. I mean, it just doesn't exist. The position's so deep now, but you got to also, you know, guys don't like setting screens and watching you play yeah. the whole time. Did you think Golden State was a playoff team this year? Where did you have them pegged? I picked them on the under, but like I said, I felt like the, I felt like the top six, so if I just do it off the top of my head, both LA teams in the playoffs, Denver, Portland, um, Houston, and Utah. Those are my six, and I felt like it was five for those last two. And I feel like I have good insight on what Golden State was going to do. Like there was these extreme theories on what they were, will they tank or will they do this? They trade D'Angelo Russell, they're going to rest Curry. And I've just, you know, after talking to some people, it just felt like, see what's going to happen. <laughs> Let's just see what happens, and we'll see where we're at. So I didn't think it was a lock to have them in the playoffs, but I also didn't think they were going to be terrible either, and now they've been terrible. So you tell me what you think their expectations were about themselves. It's been really bad. I get it. If you look at the box score, and because they're blowouts, there's guys playing minutes that you wouldn't expect, but you see five or six names going, these guys would have never played in a rotation of this no. team during this thing when they had it rolling. So I think there's probably part of it where the team isn't so untalented that they should still be out of the playoffs even without clay. But I imagine the hardest thing for them is getting over the mental hurdle of being like, this is not like what you guys just did was basketball heaven for five years. And now it's yeah. not going to be that. And can they fight through that? Or is it going to be ugly all season? Cause I still can't imagine they're not going to go in like 40 games. Yeah. I, I was surprised that the people who were picking Steph Curry as the MVP for this reason, you know, when, when Westbrook wanted a two years ago, three years ago, was Westbrook wanted, yeah. yeah. They were what the five seed that year? They get the five seed in the West, six, five or six. They were in that area, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, and that was kind of on the low end of where you typically would be to win the MVP. Typically, you're one of the elite. You're certainly not a team in the seventh or eighth seed, and you're not a team out of the playoffs. And I thought that's where they would be. And I, no matter how much Steph scored, no matter what kind of numbers he'd put up, you would be able to dismiss it because they weren't going to be very good. And I, I did think there was a very good chance they'd miss. The playoffs, they just don't have a deep enough well of talent there. And even with Clay coming back, I think by the time Clay were to come back, I didn't think, I mean, you, you, in the West this year, you, you think might Clay's need, coming back. I, I don't know if he is, but, but if I, I think there's less of a chance if they're that far out of it. Now he's going to want to play because he's like, he's going to want to play, but this is a team I'm very curious about. And I think this is a challenge for Steve Kerr. 
this was a team for the last few years that didn't practice much because of the veterans and defensively they were very good because of you know you had Clay Thompson one of the best two-way players in the league you had Durant became you know even better a defensive player his size and his ability to cover ground on the court and Iguodala's role and but this isn't a team that I thought probably you talk to people that didn't feel like they were always super disciplined on defense because they didn't practice much. Your habits are different. Like you, you don't practice your habits. Things get a little, you know, they got by on talent in a lot of cases. And now, now it's like they've got to practice every day and they've got to, the little things keep you transition defense. And I think, you know, you get blown out when you're just giving up, when you turn it into a layup line with transition defense and tightening and rebounding and those things that they had to tighten up. And I think for Steve Kerr, like if you gave Steve Kerr, let's say last year, how would Steve Kerr do with that Orlando team that Steve Clifford would like, you know, he just ground that team to the playoffs. Like, like that's what Cliff does really, really well. Like he's going to get the most out of a group. They're going to be really disciplined defensively. He got just enough offense, um, and they make this run, get in the playoffs. He did that in Charlotte. When he, whenever he had any talent in Charlotte, they'd win. And now that's what Steve's got to do with this team. And Steve was absolutely the right coach when he took over for what they needed and to coach that team to five straight finals and multiple championships. But this is a different challenge for him. And I think, you know, Mike Brown – who's his top assistant, this is a little more what Mike is used to as a coach in the league. You know, he had, now he's had some great, Mike had some great teams, but, um, you know, that practice all the time. And I think, I just think it's interesting, the challenge for Steve and how he, this is a very different situation and how he adjusts to it too, not just with the players they have. So they were slipping last year defensively in a way that, you know, goes a little under the radar, but also makes a little bit of sense human nature-wise, right? Because you go, hey, you know, hey, this is our fifth year at it, third year with KD, but, you know, we know we can turn it on. I mean, it's just it's just what happens. It's just what happens. Go back to those Bulls teams and, and tell me the difference between locked in and the, the first year of the three-peat or the third year of either one of them. And I remember I was watching NBA TV this summer, and it was Jordan and Phil Jackson talking about, like, the beginning of that year of just, all right, this again, all right, we'll be fine. And the funny thing about Golden State is dominant as they were, they're actually like one of the most careless teams. And the turnover numbers were always really high. And it doesn't mean you have to take care of the basketball. There's other teams that have been a turnover prone team that have won championships, but theirs were always so careless, which always blew my mind. And part of it was impressive that you could be that lackadaisical in these high pressure moments, which is part of what made them great. Cause they were like, all right, we're fine. Whatever. Not going to be right. a big deal, but that was some of their undoing. And then the oddity of the fact that like they were built in this shooting way and then all of a sudden they just didn't have enough shooting. And that's kind of what we were talking about with Houston almost knocking them off a couple years ago. They didn't have enough shooting. And then I'm not going to evaluate them in a Toronto matchup where Durant's out and then Clay goes down because I still wonder what would happen if Clay hadn't blown his ACL in mm -hmm. game six. And then it becomes, you know, it's game seven and now let's yeah. see how weird this is going to get because with those guys, you can't ever really count them out. But to then go, well, what does any of this stuff mean? Because it was more of a system than it was we're running a million plays. It's we know even with Durant on a elbow, well, not even elbow because he'd set up a little between the elbow. So like a 45 degree and that, that catch there 
And if he just wants to hit a one-legged step back on you, like that's still a good shot because it's Kevin Durant. Or they're repositioning around the three-point line. And them knowing that, you know what Clay's going to do is he's going to hide in the corner and then he's actually going to slide out like five feet to the right. And the guy who has the ball in the paint, you know, it's Draymond in that spot usually, will know as everything's collapsing that like Clay's repositioned himself. And that's what I think is like beautiful about Clay and Steph and this simplicity of just reposition yourself on the three-point line and defenses are going to forget about it. I think that happened with San Antonio against the Heat in those years where they had those back-to-back finals matchups. Like, just just move a little bit. If you can shoot, the defensive guy's going to be looking the other way. Now I don't even know, like, what are you... And I'm saying this because I don't know. What are they... Like, are they telling guys, like, hey, this is how we used to do it? Because you can't. The roster's so different. Like, Eric Pascal's playing big minutes. Spellman's... Glenn Robinson III's playing big minutes. Like, what do you say to those guys? You know, you can sit there and run a ton of screens for Steph, but they're not going to grind Steph into the ground. He's going to get rest. He's not going to play 40 minutes a night. I don't think they're going to rush Clay back with everything that they just went through. No, they're not going questioning to. questioning Bob Myers. It's going to be more of a yeah. thing of Clay's going to want to play because that's who he is, and they're going to be preaching Clay like take, you know, and that's the nature of it because Clay wants to be back on the court as soon as he can. And they also may look at the standings and go, is this the best thing to do? Uh, but like, Maybe he'll want to get on the court for a little while. Think of, you know, Paul George came back, different injury, but he played that last month of the season uh, after his injury and then went into the summer having that to build off of. Didn't look very good yet, didn't play a ton of minutes, but got it sort of, in, and maybe that's what Clay will want. Just let me get out there a little bit yeah, just so and have something to new. go in the summer. Yeah, right. with. But- yeah. I, it, what you just said is the important thing to remember throughout this entire Golden State thing. I can't imagine it's going to look this bad, but it was weird because I'd, I'd heard people saying they should tank, which they weren't going to do in the first year. And like, by the way, like Steph and Draymond, they actually that, still want to play basketball. No, I know like, that's the shocking concept. They're, they're, people, the view but. in Golden State has been like, we, we know we won't be, I don't think they thought they'd be this bad early, but that they would try to get in the playoffs this year and they would get Clay back and next year and they have their mid-level exception to go out and spend this summer, get another player. And Clay comes back, and you still have a couple more years, at least, of Steph and Draymond in their, you know, prime. Probably, you know, still maybe all stars, uh, maybe even longer with them. Especially Steph, who knows? Like, keep going. He's thirty-one, um, and that they, you know, like, can we get back to a conference final, final NBA championship? That's that's tough. That's tough to think. But like, could they be a second-round team? But you're not. Their payroll is still, I think it might be second in the league right now. I think no, it's, it's still, bad, but it was bad. Too, like, yeah, like, like they they're not, you're, you're going to keep trying to win and you got this, although the building is sold out for hundred years, you know, new building there. Here's what's interesting. Can I just throw yeah. one last thing on of the great thing though? Yeah. Just because I think it's worth repeating. And you know, he's going to want to come back, but I think if they're flirting with the seven or eight or eight or they're at nine or something. Do you really think they'll be there? Think how many wins they're going to have to have to be competing for that. It's going to be like 48 wins. So like, there's no way. Okay. You think it's impossible that they're even flirting with an eight seed right now? You think it's I do. that bad? I do. Now, do I think they're going to get drilled every night like this? Probably not. I can't imagine it's going to be this bad. But, but, I mean, they give but there's nothing there to say, come on, like, even look at the West. Look at the Suns were, like, what Monty, we talked about at the beginning. Like, they've been competitive so far. Like, the where bottom, are you getting the, the bottom, bottom of it is, way better you know, now. Sacramento struggled. I think they'll be better even without bad. Like, the, at some point here, uh, They'll, they'll, I thought they'd compete to be in the playoffs. I still think they probably will. They have Marvin Bagley out for, Tom, six, or excuse me, Carl Anthony Towns was player of the how week. How about, how about Minnesota early on? Like Wiggins, I think what they did in the offseason with, you know, Gerson Rosas came in and Ryan Saunders, 
gets a new deal as coach. And they brought David Vanderpool from Portland, who's an outstanding assistant, who, you know, worked really closely with uh, Lillard and, and CJ McCollum. And, and, and he's working closely with their stars. And of course, Ryan has built, I think, a trust. Ryan Saunders has built a, a trust with those guys, but also like holding them accountable. And I think they put such a premium in Minnesota on Cat is going to put up numbers, but, but we're going to make him a better leader. We're going to make him a guy who, uh, we're going to help him in all those areas. And, and Wiggins, man, you just need to get that guy to want to come play every night. And I think with that happening, you know, they try to get a, they, they'd love to get a point guard. They would love, they want to be a playoff team. And, and I think they'd love to upgrade at that point guard position. And if there's available point guards out there, you know, there'll be a team, you know, they tried to get D'Angelo Russell, maybe the sign and trade situation. And, and if you, you watch some of the other point guards who might become available this year, um, you know, they'll want to be involved there, but I think, you know, it's, listen, it's early. It's, it's three, three and oh. Um, but th- there's talent on that Minnesota team. And I think it's a matter of tapping into it. Jake Lehman, who just, you know, really developed in Portland. There wasn't really a role for him moving forward. You know, that's a guy who's going to be helpful to them. They made a lot of, they made some moves around the edges this summer and, um, a Koji from Georgia Tech. Yeah. The Georgia Tech guy. Yeah, he is 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 who who was a Tom Thibodeau Scott Layden pick who was a find and you know it'll be interesting to see with those guys it's going to come down to are they going to bring it every single night like until Wiggins does that you know a couple games early in the year it's easy to do early in the season but let's check back December you know December game in Cleveland and whatever like are they going to um, but they've tried to put an infrastructure in there to 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 help those guys do that. It's interesting. What's the vibe on Wiggins around the league? Because if he, if he continues to be the guy he was that last year where you go, you know, Wiggins is all first team. I forgot you're on the floor and I totally get also because the way this league works, you do the five year, $150 million deal that kicks in and, He's in 2020, 23, 33.6 million. I always like to keep track of like who I think the most immovable contracts wall. Um, but look, if everybody thinks Chris Paul's contract's immovable, well, technically it was moved, but it was moved, I think, because Daryl liked the asset, uh, more than he liked the Chris Paul asset and figured out the basketball part later on. But are there still people that believe that Andrew Wiggins can be the guy? Cause remember before the draft, the draft was like, all right, athletically stands out immediately. Fine. And the funny thing was, is every guy I would talk to, GMs, scouting directors, they go, well, you'll know at least he'll be able to come in and hang defensively. And then the offense will come. And the defense has never happened. And he's had these moments where he's had good shooting starts to seasons. And then he just goes and reverts back to what he's been. Like, what, what do you hear about? Like, I just wonder if there are basketball people that you trust that are like, Wiggins is still somebody in a different setup that I believe in. No, I think there's a lot of skepticism. Yeah. I mean, listen, if you wanted to trade for him, that probably would have been available to you if there was, if you want to take all that money on based on what you might give back. I, I think, I mean, it goes back to when they gave him the max contract and Glenn Taylor, their owner, and I'm paraphrasing here, sat down with him and said, basically, I need, essentially, said, I need you to look me in the eye and basically tell me you're going to, you're going to compete. You're going to play hard. I think it was along those lines. 
And if you have to say that to a guy when you're giving the match, like, you know, you're you're swallowing hard to 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 do it. But are like, you going to earn this? Right, essentially. Million? And I I don't think though I'm not sure those were the exact words. I believe that was no, the, but I, that was the general theme of that conversation. And I think Glenn Taylor was pretty public with it. But like, that's the hard part in the NBA is, although there were plenty of warning signs with him, you were drafting the talent. Is what happens when a guy gets. You know, whether it's his rookie contract or his second contract, does he want to keep working? Hey, it's true in our business. That's just true in the NBA. It's true in, in any walk of life. I'd love it's to ha- start mailing it in. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to measure. And that's like, that's what they're paid to do. And sometimes organizations think, well, he doesn't have it, but we can teach him it. We can put the right people around him. And then there's always somebody else who goes, okay, well, we'll take a chance. We'll, and some are able, some, the light never goes on. The light never goes on. Yeah, there's no way he'll. I and that's why, right. and that's why Jimmy Butler was frustrated there. Like he, Jimmy wasn't wrong about all his points. No, he there. was the wrong, wrong execution. It, maybe it was the wrong stuff. The execution at the time, like, it wasn't all inaccurate. That's for sure. No, yeah. when when you heard, I mean, that whole thing was so choreographed. By the way, like, oh hey, and it was weird because when I brought this up before, people thought I was knocking the jump, and I wasn't. But the fact that like there was already a sit down with Rachel Nichols, like within twelve hours of the practice blow up, that was not choreographed. Come on. No, it wasn't. Jimmy. I, well, I, I can't speak for. I'm not talking about I, us no, on TV. No, no, I'm no. Like, like, I, how, like how that he... day I found out I didn't know. I'll tell you exactly how it happened. I was told he might practice that day. He might not. I went back and forth about reporting. I had information that he was going to practice. But I also know what can happen. It's the night before. I don't know what day of the week. Well, let's say it was a Tuesday night. You could write at 10 p.m. on Tuesday night. He's practicing tomorrow. And then he wakes up and says, all right, I'm not practicing. Changed his mind. You weren't wrong when you reported it. And also knew he could see, Jimmy might see somebody say that he was going to practice. Oh, you said I'm going to practice? No, I'm not. So I held off on, I didn't even know that he was going to practice that day. And then I found out, okay, I'll tell you exactly. I found out he's in the he's in the locker room dressed. Okay. Even then I still was afraid to report he's about to practice because I'm like, he could just be, I was told he's in the locker room. He's got his practice gear on. I still didn't report it. He's turning into like a Derrick Rose playoff. Yeah. He could just get up and leave. I don't know. Like, I don't know. And it's, he was liable to do anything. And then, then he was out on the court. And then so the practice ended and very quickly the information from other, you know, like. So this is the practice where he's losing and he's telling those guys they're soft. Yeah. And so I didn't get it until, I didn't find out about it until the practice ended. And I was then, I would say, I probably, I, I know I talked to multiple people involved or there. And then, like, you were getting a bit, you know, more and more. And I put out more as I got it. But I didn't want to get beat on the fact that he was going to practice. I wanted to report that first. Uh, so I don't, I, I know there's people who think because I had that and then Rachel was on a plane and went to interview. And I, like, Rachel set that up with Jimmy. I, and I'll, like I had not I'm even. I'm not blaming not, Rachel. No, 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 no. I'm not blaming TV. No, no, no. But, I just but like think Jimmy. Like that's. Uh, I don't even think that I. I don't even remember communicating with Rachel that he might practice that day. I don't remember. I didn't know she might. I don't even remember what the timing of. I don't remember. She had a sit down with him. It so, felt like what a day after he'd had so, the blow up practice. Yeah, but where all, we got all this information. So, so, so he blows up in practice. He's practiced. And then I think he just says, okay, I'm ready to talk. It doesn't, I mean, all you gotta do is buy a plane ticket to Minneapolis. That's not really hard to do. 
I don't, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of setting up. Rachel certainly had a relationship with Jimmy and would communicate with him. Like you've seen her on the show talk about, you know, like clearly she was in touch with him. So I don't think it was that crazy that you could get on a plane a day later. Anyway, you'd have to ask her and her part of it. But yeah, I, but I, yeah. I, I think I, I'm, I don't know I'm, why I'm, we're down. Maybe I'm not doing a good job of being clear. Yeah. I meant it was choreographed from Jimmy, who's gone nuclear twice. Okay, oh, right. we've seen yeah. him go nuclear twice, where he's like, "I'm out of here in Chicago," and then I felt, oh, like, yeah, again, yeah. it's somebody from the outside. It's like, so let me understand this. Like, you knew you were going to have a national TV sit down, and you've been begging your way out of there. And it just happened to be what a day after oh. he had. Blown oh, in up his mind, that may have been I'm his saying. thinking. Oh, yeah. see, this so is I defended how I my. Trouble. This is how I defended myself for fifteen minutes. I've had such a guilty conscience. I defended myself, <laughs> and you weren't even accusing <laughs> you me know of what's anything. Funny though is that um, apparently it came up in Chicago when I brought this up, and Wilbon, like, you know, that Northwestern mafia. I'm afraid to even say this out loud right now, but it was it was insinuated that I was again. It's just, it's just it, what I was just saying just happened to me again with you now, Woj. I wasn't criticizing anyone on the media side of it. What I'm saying is that I think Jimmy's a really smart guy, yeah. and he knew what he was doing. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I, by the way, I don't disagree with that. Is there's not one basketball person that didn't probably laugh thinking about Jimmy Butler screaming at Andrew Wiggins and calling him soft? Yeah. Because if there's one thing Butler isn't, it's he's not soft. Yeah. And Wiggins is soft. And this Miami team, he hasn't played a game yet, and they are off. I thought Zach Lowe was the first one who said it to me. They could be third in the East, and I said, "You know what? You weren't like and Bam out at Ohio. How like, great is this Bam thing now?" And then Kendrick Nunn, this undrafted player out of Oakland, who was in the G League last year, who's got gotten off to a good start, and Tyler here. Like you go, hey, that's a just as Winslow's improved, and you go, they've pieced it back together there, and, and, a, and a pretty remarkable and, and Spo, who's going to get the most. Which I still uh, can't believe they didn't make the playoffs at the end. Because when you started looking at that race in the last few weeks, you're like, yeah. oh, Spo will figure it out." Yeah, and you know they're going to get the brains beat in the first round, but. I think Spo is somebody who outcoaches his talent. And now, well, we'll see how healthy because we know there's going to be like two or three of these big names that go down and it's going to change all the stuff mm-hmm. we're talking about. But a healthy Heat and Butler being back. Because I think in a way, Butler doesn't disrupt this team the way he would disrupt Philly offensively. Like, I respect Jimmy in that Philly run. And it wasn't perfect. And I don't like the way they staggered always Embiid, Simmons, and you know, then it was always Jimmy Tobias. But in those moments, because I had to go back and watch Game 7 again against the Raptors, Jimmy was the guy that was like, all right, you know, I we need a bucket. And I'm now I know it's ISO, and I know it's not always super efficient, but there's no doubt in his mind that, like, I'm a guy to get you some playoff buckets here and create it all on my own. And as much as we don't like ISO or we can complain about it, a lot of times it's kind of what you need. And I don't really think, like, Miami has a desperate need for that kind of alpha. In a way that he would disrupt. He fits. Other He's teams. so perfect for them. He fits. Right? So. That's who they are. Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. It's a Swiss watch brand with a broad range of high quality watches at attractive prices. They bring performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tiso prides itself on the precision and style of its classic, sport, and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. They offer a great variety from touch watches to sport to classic and trendy. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality, performance, and traditional luxury. Shop the latest timepieces at us.tissotshop.com. That's us.tissotshop.com 
and jewelry stores nationwide and follow the hashtag, this is your time and TSO.us on Facebook and Instagram for more information about TSO. You know what's going to be interesting? And I wonder if, and we're as guilty as anybody. I'm like, we are at ESPN. But I mean, I knew this coming into the season and I can't remember the last season where we're just going to like, we're just going to talk about all these storylines. Like you might talk about that heat team for a week or two and then we're just back to free agency. You might talk about Minnesota's interesting start, but then we're back to free agency. Like we, we pretend we care about the season for about 10 days and then all anybody really cares about is what's coming. And we don't have that this year. I mean, we, we just don't have it. Nobody believes Anthony Davis is not staying with the Lakers and how we are going to cover this season. I, I was just meeting today with Christina Douglas, our editor, and we were talking about that. And like, and I'm looking at, I spent from this time last year to the end, like I was focused on free agency. I was focused on not just the walk up to it, but being in position to be able to break stories in July and then, you know, trade deadline comes and I'm not saying you're not preparing for free agency because you always are, but you know, maybe Giannis is more of a story based on what Milwaukee does at the end of the season. If he's got a year left and he's not, you know, whatever, we'll see what that looks like. But how we cover this league this year and talk about it is so different than what we've had where we have just number one, because of the big free agent classes that we had last year and because the Warriors were the run they had where you were just trying to figure out who could maybe compete with them. And, and the thing feels so wide open and there's all these other interesting teams. It looks interesting to see if we all have the discipline to, I don't know, not turn this into 2022 already in Giannis. I mean, there's only so much and Giannis will not open it up. Giannis is not going to make that. He's not going to engage in that conversation about his future. And that makes it a lot easier. He, he shuts it down. He doesn't engage the questions. And when a player does that, it also, you know, you, you're not reading tea leaves all the time with a guy. So you're right, okay, because we also have to remind ourselves that, you know, Golden State, if, if this were a television show, the, the five seasons of somebody, let's just rewrite all a Game of Thrones, if there were one king for five years and they've just been beheaded and now season six is a bunch of people wanting to take the throne – like that's what we're looking at right now. And not only did we get five straight years of Golden State, we get the four from Cleveland. Toronto was new, it was exciting, and it was not permanent. It was the furthest thing from. And it's a wide open West. I really believe that. I don't know if it means in two months I'm going to feel stupid for saying it's wide open, but I don't. I just don't know that I'm going to be tricked into thinking that it's only going to be one team in the West. And as much as I like Philly's roster one through eight against Milwaukee's, and I just do. But what I do love about Giannis, and we saw it in the Houston game, that was kind of like a sneaky, way too early tidbit. But I worried about the Rockets' ability to defend bigger wings, mm. and then I go, or is it's just Giannis, and I should shut up, like, right? Hey, right. Hey, man, they don't have anybody who can stop Giannis. Be like, oh wait, no one does. And the way Giannis would go at Philly in those regular season games was really impressive to me. Where he was like, I don't care, I don't care. Like he goes right at guys. But I still like Philly's talent better, one through eight. And yeah, there's a couple guys in the Bucks I don't trust and I still don't always I got to see more of Philadelphia before I have any real gauge and what their offensive execution is going to be but there are just times I didn't really like their spacing and like what they did even though you know I picked them to, to win the East so all of this stuff is brand new but 
you're right. Will we let ourselves just focus on those results? Because if there's one thing I'm never going to do in this league, like we just went through the biggest overhaul we've ever seen in the history of this league with these these kinds of names. But it doesn't mean that there's not going to be the next guy in three months that's pissed off. Oh, there will be. So, They'll, I mean, it's somebody's just... going to want out. That's the job. Yep. yep. Waiting around for the next pissed off guy. Yep. And That is you know, the job. So, that is the job. So, <laughs> you, you once said to me, like, it was such a good line. You didn't even say it on the air. And you're not going to get... I don't think you're going to get mad at me. But I I'd said, like, hey, are you hearing anything like this? And I know the rules with you. Like, I don't ever, like, you know... I don't text you to be like, hey, what's going on? Um... Because uh, I think I did it once, and you were like, shut up. Because <laughs> it was good. Because I had something really good, too. Uh, and, and then I knew when you didn't get back that. to me, I was like, oh. I was like, he must be on this. You want me to remind you what it was? Uh, it's fine. Like, I, no, I don't remember what it was. I'm not anybody here. I, like, about a month before all the Kawhi stuff came out, oh, I had yeah. heard okay, that it was really getting ugly down yeah. in San Antonio. Okay, that's okay? accurate. Yep. And I was like, hey, are you hearing anything really crazy about Kawhi about him to like, and then it was just crickets. I'm like, oh, I must be right. <laughs> but it's also, you know, you don't need, like, you'd be like, hey, if I tell Rosillo everything I hear and I get a story coming out, cause you actually ended up doing like a double byline yeah, with Zach, so, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's a huge, huge story. And you have absolutely no, you never need to tell me anything, but it, you said this in, in like the bigger scheme of thing. You were like, rumors are for people that don't have sources. I don't even know if that's my line. I'm not sure that's my line. That might be. Something. You sure? I might have stolen that. Yeah. Okay. I'm well, not take you said it to me. It's the first okay. time I had heard it, and it was intense. And it was so like woge, <laughs> and I loved it because it was like it sounds you know, like kind of a dick thing, but same, yeah. But, but yeah. you you were saying it to me because I was I was going down a road of something where I think you were like it's just you and I being friendly enough to talk about something because we were like face to face when it happened. It wasn't just like on the phone and, and you know. But is there like does the Giannis thing mean anything? I, I think it's still too early. I think. They're going to have every chance to keep him. At his core, he is very loyal. And he really is one of those checks every single boxes as a guy in competitive. Yeah, there's no – he's like you, – you talk about like who you want to be your leader, oh. you, who you want to set the example. I remember Giannis when uh, he had just come – his rookie year, and I went to Milwaukee to spend time with him. He wasn't even starting yet. And we went to see his, uh, his agent, Alex Saratsis, we, we went to dinner with him. I spent a couple of days doing a piece on him at Yahoo. And uh, his parents, family hadn't even moved there yet. And I remember he had an apartment. uh was overlooking back when their facility was out by the lake, out in the suburbs. And his family had not been able, I think they were still working through immigration to be able to come over. And I'll never forget this. He takes me into a couple different bedrooms. And he said, this is where my parents are going to sleep. And he had the bed made already. Like the bed was, the, the room was furnished. He had a made bed. He took me into where his, for his brothers and sisters. I don't remember. There was three of them, I think, right? And he had um, maybe two rooms, maybe a couple other rooms, but he had beds for them. And the beds were already made as if somebody was sleeping there, but nobody was yet, but he had them prepared for them. And he was lonely. He was just a kid. And I don't know what he was, 18 or 19 when he first got here. And, uh, you know, he just wanted his family there with him. And uh, I remember... I mean, the stories, I remember that first year we write about, he had to go do something downtown and it was middle of winter and he had to drop something, some, and he just decides to start running from some store to the arena in his sweatsuit. Like, and all of a sudden somebody in the organ, I think it might've been John Hammond there at the time, their GM 
one of them drove by and was like, what, like sees Giannis running in the winter <laughs> down the street. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I just didn't have a ride. I was going to the game. He goes, you call somebody to come pick you up. And Giannis would just run. So he would run in the winter. He's running through the streets to the arena because I didn't want to bother anybody to give me a ride. And he had come from some store or whatever it was. And it was just, he didn't know anything about what was, it was, it was incredible. And, uh, but that earnestness, he just lived in the gym. He was there working all the time. And like, that's, that's who he is. And so he hasn't changed. The people around him are the people around him. Like, like there's no, he's got a very, it's his family, his agent, uh, his, his girlfriend, his dad has passed away, his mom. And, you know, now Thanasis, his brother's on the team. And it's, um, <laughs> like they're going to have every chance to keep him. And who knows how it goes, but they, um, it won't be a circus. I know that like he will not turn free agency or that process into a circus. He'll be respectful of that organization. He'll be, and, and listen, and they can still pay him more than everybody. And that's meant something with some guys, but some guys that hasn't been as important. Yeah. The money thing is backfired in a way, you know, with the way the owners thought it would keep guys. It's been, it hasn't mattered. Been, I mean, you talk about the unintended consequences and you think you're going to map it all out and then it doesn't happen. Um, but you know, I don't, I would never assume to know any of these guys. You don't spend any time with them, but just hearing stories and Hammond drafting them and then just the stuff about them now. But, you know, look, Kawhi was the all-time surprise, right? The perfect spur, the subdued, subservient player, bought in, bought in, and then it's like, wait, this guy's miserable? So I'm not predicting that. I wouldn't sit here because I just haven't heard enough about it. Um, but that would be, that would be, I think the, this league has surprised us so many times. We think it's gone to sleep and then yeah, we Westbrook's think it's quiet tri- and it's not, yeah, something's going to happen. So something like, I mean, obviously Milwaukee's never getting yeah. rid of him and they're going to do whatever they can to keep him. But if they had a bad playoff exit or, you know, Middleton goes down. Yeah. It just, just puts him on just, the clock with right, a year it's left. Just, yeah. You know, this is just, this is yeah. how you, you plan out. This is every GM is, is playing this game and they sit there with their staffs and they go, Hey, what if, you know, and you just start thinking about stuff like this, but you know, I, uh, I didn't even want to do this to Bucks fans. So maybe I'll just stop talking. Yeah, I know it's, it's, it's fine. They're, they're going to be great this year. It'll be very good. He, you know, Bud, he's that special. Bud's man. been in right. Mike, really? Mike Budenholzer has been, you know, they, they nailed that coaching hire and, um, kept Middleton, kept Brooke Lopez. They kept the guys they needed to keep. And I think with the Brogdon contract, that's one of those where I, I go, you know, I'm not going to sit here from the outside going. That would have strapped them to pay right. him what he wanted. It right. just would have. To, to pay him yeah. 80 when they're the ones that have all the medicals on them. They're the ones with the medicals, right? Uh, that was one where I went, man, he's a really nice piece because he's yeah. so complimentary and he can just play different roles. And I can still like him as a player. But like in this moment when it was going down and you're hearing about it, I was like, I'm going to defer to their decision on this. Yeah. Game. Yeah. It was a lot. It was certainly a lot of money. And, and Indiana needed to, for them, it made, it made sense. They needed to to pivot because they lost Bogdanovich, right. and right. that was them was a whole other. So uh, anyway, great to be here at uh, Casa. I'll give you the key code oh, in case you ever. I love need Manhattan it. Beach. This is this is great. This I'm is telling great. you, you let me know. You, you can bring the family yeah. out here, and I'll I'll be gone on some weekend. Oh, they'll never come back with me. They'll just stay here. They'll be <laughs> yeah, my family wandering around. I'll even vacuum place. for you. <laughs> uh, Ryan Rosillo, host of the. Multiple podcasts and shows on the Ringer. Thanks for inviting me over. Absolutely, Woj. Do I have, do I have to leave? And I have to leave now. Oh, we'll go get somebody to eat. All right, good enough. 
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to my guest today, the Ringers, Ryan Rosillo. Catch the Ryan Rosillo podcast wherever you get your podcast, And, of course, make sure you subscribe and listen to the Woj Pod, to the Low Post with Zach Lowe, Brian Windhurst, and the Hoop Collective wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.